Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee had invited, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who, who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Good morning, everyone. My name is Felix, as Jago has already said. Um, I'm one of the curates here at HDC, and it's lovely to be with you here today. If you had that passage open in front of you as James was reading it, I wonder if you could keep it open um, so that we can then refer to it over the next few minutes or so. But before we do that, let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father in heaven, in the busyness of each of our lives, and there is lots going on at the moment, might you help us as we come to your word now. We need it. Grant us, we pray, in the power of your spirit, eyes to see what you want us to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear, so that we might know your deep and forever love. Amen. Um, I want to begin our time today with a story. It's a story about someone called Brownlow North. Now, Brownlow North, slightly unusual name, he was born in the 19th century, at the start of the 19th century. And as he grew up, he became quite a wild young man. Um, he was known for his self-indulgence. He was a heavy drinker, a notorious gambler. Uh, he loved a wild party, and he was known by many to be kind of morally despicable. 
And so it was a huge surprise to many of his friends that in his mid-40s, he became a follower of Jesus. And there was a kind of transformation that happened in his life as he seeked to live for Jesus rather than the wild lifestyle that he had before. But the transformation was even more miraculous because Brownlow North became a preacher in churches like this one. And there was one moment when he was about to uh, climb the steps to a, a pulpit like this one here. And just before he was about to climb the steps to preach to a church congregation like this, someone gave him a letter and told him to open the letter before he went up the steps. So he opened the letter before he went up. And he read the letter. And to his shock and horror, in the letter, someone had written down, recorded, all of the sort of worst things that he had done in his life. All the deeply sinful things that Brownlow North had done. It was all there in the letter. And then at the bottom of the letter, the person who had written the letter said that if Brownlow North went up to the pulpit and preached, then the person who had written the letter would tell other people about what was in the letter. Because the person who wrote the letter said that Brownlow North was a hypocrite. That's what it said. So what did Brownlow North do? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He took the letter with him and he climbed the steps to the pulpit, like this one here. Still holding the letter in his hands, he got to the top in the pulpit and he read the letter out loud, word for word, all of it. And then, after reading it all out loud, he said this, Dear friends, there are three things that I have to say about this letter. First, it's all true. God knows it's true, and I confess with sorrow and shame that it's true. The second thing I have to say is that it's all forgiven. God knows it's forgiven, and I know that it's forgiven. And the third thing I have to say is that if God can forgive the sins of a sinner like Brownlow North, there is not a sinner in this world too great for God to forgive him all his sins. Now, when Brownlow North realized how much he had been forgiven by God, he was willing to trash his own reputation for the sake of his love for God by reading out the letter. In other words, Brownlow North knew that when it comes to God, we love him much because he first loved us more. We love him much because he first loved us more. Now, why do I start with that story about Brownlow North? Here's the reason. Because I'm convinced that our passage today that was so beautifully read by James would have been one of Brownlow North's favorite passages in the Bible. And it does come with a bit of a health warning. The passage might bring up some of the things we've done in the past that still make us feel sick with shame. Things we've done that make us feel, I don't know, a bit a bit rotten, a bit dirty, things we're not proud of. The type of things that would have been in Brownlow North's letter. But this passage is going to show us 
that our love for God comes when we realize how much he first loves us. This meal Jesus has in the house of a Pharisee, Simon, will confirm to us that whatever is in your equivalent letter, it can be totally and utterly forgiven. Once and for all. So we love him much because he first loved us more. In the first two verses of our passage that James read out to us, we get three main characters, a Pharisee, Jesus, and a prostitute. It sounds a bit like the start of a joke. But for Simon, this is no joke. This is a disaster, an absolute disaster. He's organized a respectable kind of dinner party. He's got his main guest there, Jesus, reclining at the table. And then in walks, verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life which probably means she was a prostitute, certainly a public moral sinner, likely sexual sinner. She completely gate-crashes the party. Apparently, in that culture, anyone could come and kind of watch a banquet at a kind of Pharisee's house, but you'd have to sort of stand against the wall kind of around the room where the banquet takes place, and you just sort of watch. But that's not what this lady is doing, is it? She does nothing of the sort. She kind of just steps into the party, doesn't she? Now, to get a grasp of the scandal, we need to know who we're dealing with. Hollywood has done very well at making kind of prostitution appear glamorous at times, a bit fun, a bit like Julia Roberts in the film Pretty Women, if you've watched that film. But that is nothing of what this lady was like. This lady was seen by many as a disgrace, a complete disgrace, used and abused by many of the powerful men in the area, probably carrying all sorts of sexually transmitted diseases, no doubt scarred by the men who had used her, a disposable pleasure for some, a source of instant gratification for many. And for whatever reasons, she was profiteering from it. A filthy trait. In the eyes of Simon the Pharisee, and for many, this lady was morally a filthy person. So when, it comes, uh, when she comes to Jesus and encounters Jesus at the banquet table and Jesus is kind of speaking with her, Simon the Pharisee can't believe his eyes, can he? We read his thoughts um, in verse 39 about Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he thinks, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In other words, he's thinking, what on earth is Jesus doing? What is he doing? He hasn't a clue. Jesus can't be special to be dealing with someone so unspecial as her. Verse 38 is actually what kicks it all off. This lady's not standing against the wall. She's at Jesus' feet crying. She's using her own tears to clean Jesus' feet. And then it gets even more embarrassing. She then uses her own hair to wipe the feet kisses them, and then she pours perfume on them. This isn't humility. This is humiliation. And for Simon the Pharisee, it's a scandal. It's happening at his house. And not only has she just ruined his party, but also it's a scandal that someone so dirty, so filthy, could be welcomed and forgiven by Jesus. But by thinking this, Simon completely and 
utterly misses the point. In the most stunningly beautiful way, this encounter shows us that no one is too bad for Jesus. No shame of past sins is too great for his love and forgiveness. And there'll be some in this room today who really need to hear this. With a room of this size, with this many people here, there'll be some who'll be thinking, I am too bad for Jesus. There'll be some people here today who'll be thinking, I'm too dirty for Jesus. For the lady in this passage, it probably would have been shame regarding sexual sin. And there will be women and men here today, this morning, who are struggling to see past historic sexual sin or current sexual sin. There'll be some here today who'll be thinking, Jesus could never forgive me if he knew what was going on or had been going on in my life. Perhaps sexual relationships, adultery, perhaps addictions or dabbles with pornography, perhaps impure thoughts, habits, deeds. And there might be people here today who are harboring secrets that no one else knows about. No one knows about them. Things that just feel too dirty to share with anyone. Please hear this today. Whatever you have done, it can be forgiven by Jesus. And we know this can be true because of how this lady responds to Jesus. Take a look at verse 47. It's gonna come up on the screen. Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Her love for Jesus, at the disregard of her own reputation, like Brownlow North at the top of that pulpit, is not what makes her forgiven, but shows that she has been forgiven. We love him much, because he first loved us more. This lady, Anne Brown North, had been set free from shame, set free from what other people think. The metaphorical chains had come off, and the very same can be true for you and for me. At the very beginning of the Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, the author Luke, who's a doctor, Dr. Luke, he says he's writing this stuff. You can see it in chapter one, but we won't turn there now. He says he's writing this stuff so that the reader can be confident, convinced of the truth. So whether you are a Christian here today and you're doubting whether you can be forgiven or whether you are here today and you've never come to Jesus before, but there's something holding you back, maybe something you've done that's holding you back to coming to Jesus, the truth is, Jesus offers to forgive you once and for all. We love him much because he first loved us more. In this passage, a filthy prostitute lovingly cleans Jesus, but in reality, it is Jesus, isn't it, who is ultimately lovingly cleaning her. We love him much because he first loved us more. But of course, there is another character in this story. Two characters, remember? The host, uh, Simon the Pharisee, is the other one. If this lady represented those in the room who think they're too bad to come to Jesus, well, Simon, 
He represents those who think they're not bad enough for Jesus. We run an alpha course here for anyone who's looking into the Christian faith. It's one of several things we do to uh, meet people and encounter them and, and encourage them to look into the claims of Christianity. If you'd like to sign up to the course or we'd like to sort of inquire more, please come speak to me or sign up on the website. But one of the things that often comes up, crops up um, at that type of course is that the idea that some people think that they don't need Jesus. When I speak about the, sort of the concept, the idea of forgiveness in the Christian faith to people, often people sort of scoff back that they're not actually that bad. I'm a good bloke, you know, deep down type thing. And we can all fall into that trap, I think. We play the kind of comparison game. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. When we you know, read the newspaper or look at the headlines on our phones and we kind of tut away. What a horrid person that person is. I'm so pleased I'm not like that. Or when we hear about the sort of messy divorce that's going on in our friend's marriage and we think how messy and broken their lives are, how depraved he was. I'm so pleased I'm not like that. Or last week, this is, what, this is, this is my response. Last week I was reading um, about this uh, murderer who murdered a 19-year-old girl. Just such a sick person this murderer was. Sick. And as I was reading, I was thinking... What a horrible person that person is. I'm so pleased I'm not like that. And what a horrible sort of act that was. And when we play the comparison game, we say those are the people who need forgiveness. They're the ones who really need the forgiveness, not me. I'm respectable. And here's the thing. You might well be respectable. You might well be. But you are falling into the trap of Simon the Pharisee. Let's read verse 40. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And then Jesus tells the story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? I feel like as a country, we kind of know a bit about debt. It's kind of the big thing in the news at the moment, isn't it? The political analysts love talking about debt and how much debt we have. And so um, as those who know a bit about debt, we know as we read this story that there's a kind of big difference between how much these two people in debt uh, owe to the moneylender. Um, it's the difference apparently between two months' debt and slightly over one and a half years' debt. So big difference. Now, as Simon is hearing this story, he would have felt increasingly uncomfortable as he heard it. How many people owe money in this story? Two. Two people. How many people have been in focus in this passage other than Jesus? Two. The lady, the prostitute, and Simon. In other words, as Jesus tells this story, Simon would have realized that Jesus is referring to him and this lady. Now, of course, the prostitute is the one in the story who probably is the one who, you know, owes much. Her life is broken, it's marred by sexual sin. She has great need to be forgiven, as we've seen already. But she isn't the only one in the story that Jesus tells who is in debt. Both had debts. Neither could pay them back. You can imagine Simon's collar starting to feel a bit, you know, tight around his throat. You can imagine his sort of palms starting to get a bit sweaty and his sort of cheeks starting to blush a bit. Because Simon is starting to realize what Jesus is saying. 
Simon is also a sinner. He's also in debt, as it were. He may not be marred by the same sort of sexual sin as the prostitutes. He may not have done as many bad things, as it were, as the prostitutes. But he's still in debt. Now, you and I, you and I, we may not have done as many bad things as other people. I don't know, as the local prostitutes in Clapham Common. We may not have done as many bad things as, I don't know, a politician that we particularly don't like. We may not have done as many bad things as the adulterous friend in the broken marriage. We may not have done as many bad things as the sick murderer of the 19-year-old girl in the news last week. But the story still shows that everyone is in debt. Even the respectable Pharisee. We all need to be forgiven because whilst we might, might obey the country's laws, we all break, continually break, God's laws. We continually live for ourselves in this world rather than the one who made this world. And so in our passage, Simon hasn't grasped that he needs Jesus' loving forgiveness. We know that because of the way he has failed to love Jesus in the passage. From verses 44 to 46, we get this kind of comparison between the acts of love towards Jesus by uh, the prostitute and the lack of love from Simon. We won't go uh, just sort of um, in detail into the verses, but let me just tell you a little bit about this kind of comparison. Simon didn't offer water to clean Jesus' feet, which was a common custom, but the prostitute used her own tears Simon didn't give him a proper greeting. The prostitute hasn't stopped kissing his feet. Simon didn't show proper hospitality. The prostitute offered and poured out her own perfume. The prostitute's horribly messy life has been totally and utterly forgiven. Not because of her love for Jesus. No, loving Jesus is the natural outcome to being forgiven and loved by Jesus. Remember, we love him much because he first loved us more. The prostitute is forgiven because she's trusting that Jesus can forgive her. In Jesus' words in verse 50, she has faith. So as we near an end, we need to see what Jesus is doing here in this passage. I wonder if you spotted it. By forgiving this prostitute her sins, Jesus is saying, remember the story I told? Do you remember that story about the money lender and the two people in debt? Do you remember that story? Well, Jesus is saying, I am the money lender. I am the money lender. Only I can clear your debt because it is me you have afflicted. Only Jesus, God in human flesh, can forgive sins. And he does. He makes it possible by paying our debt, the debt, remember, that we can't pay ourselves with the cost of his own life. As Jesus died on some large pieces of wood fashioned into the shape of a cross, Jesus paid it all. He paid our debt. At the cross, Jesus took our mess, all of our sin, the things that we're ashamed about, those secret things perhaps that no one else knows, Jesus takes them takes them away from us. 
and Jesus was punished for them, those sins, so that we don't have to be. Our slate, as it were, is wiped clean, completely clean, as his slate at the cross is marred by by our sin and shame. If we had a letter like Brownlow North, here's one which has my name on it, which details perhaps all of our sins, past and present, at the cross, it's as if Jesus takes that letter and he rips it up. It's forgiven. It's dealt with. It's no more. There is now total and utter peace for those who have been forgiven. Verse 50, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, as we end, we love him much because he first loved us more. Let me finish with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, at the start we prayed that you might help us to hear the words you want us to hear. So might you help us now to respond rightly to those words. Help us to love you because you first love us. Amen.